Hi, and welcome to the fifth episode of Touring the Multiverse. This is the first limited series of the It's a Mimic podcast where I, Dave, lead you and Adam on a tour of one of the published campaign settings for Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Over the course of this series on Eberron, I'll be breaking down history, lore, settings, populaces, adventures, and player options, while I give some quick insights into the unique monster stats that Wizards of the Coast has provided us. Today we're going to cover the northeast section of Corvair, uh, so everybody climb aboard the lightning rail and join me as we look into the steampunky world of high adventure as presented in Eberron, Rising from the Last War. So this is going to be the last episode we do on the Nations of Corvair. Thank God, because there's 5,000 of them. Well, there was, I mean, 12 plus. I think it worked out to like 17. Yeah, but still. But uh, So we're going to start today with Karnath. Sure. It is the fifth of the five original nations that we haven't touched yet, right? Like, we've already done the other four. They were Aeondair, Brayland, Thrain, and Sire, which is now the Mornland. And we're on to Karnath. Now, Karnath is known for its strength and strategy... Uh, and its discipline all kind of being the core values that they hold dear to them. Uh, it's a very militaristic state. Okay. They're good at war? Yeah, but not like the elves in Valinar okay. are. Uh, their soldiers are the finest in all of Corvair. They're, they're the best soldiers, but they don't have the magical power of other nations like Andair and Thrain, uh, which kind of really leveled the playing field during the last war. Make sense? Yeah, these guys. This is where your fighters are going to come from. Yeah, a lot of them. A lot of them will be from from Karnath. During the last war, Karnath suffered uh, a series of food shortages. This caused the king at the time to embrace the the religion called the Blood of Vol. Okay, I'm sorry, Vol. Vol. V O L. That's their national religion. Uh, these priests bolstered the Karnathi forces with the undead. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, so the blood of Vol are necromancers, essentially. Yummy. The current king, King Caius Irwinarn III. Another Irwinarn. Uh, of course, it was one of the five nations. Of course, it's a Winarn. Oh, my God. Quit Winarn about it. <laughs> the current king split from the blood of Vol and stopped the production of new skeletons and zombies. Although, I, love the, I love that you say the production of new skeletons and zombies. Like, it, you mean the harvest? Like, shit. Yes. Goddamn. Okay. They still have a bunch, though, that continue to serve. Okay. Okay, they didn't get rid of the old ones. They just stopped making new ones. The Sovereign Host has once again been established as the new national religion. The laws in Karnath are harsh. And, I mean, it's martial law. So, Um, like, hold on. So, you fuck up, then they kill you, you become an undead soldier? You know, I didn't really pick up on that when I was... But that kind of tracks, right? Yeah, it does. You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, yeah... Okay. Sounds like a like a lovely place to take the kids on vacation. Yeah. Now, Karnath is home to the Reckonmark Academy. Uh, I mean, this is West Point. It is the, the military academy. Reckonmark? Reckonmark. Prior to the last war, all of Galifar's officers trained here. Even the smallest village maintains a, a capable militia. This is a warring nation. They thrive on it. The capital and seat of King Caius III is 
Korth. Uh, its walls and towers are decorated with weapons of war. Uh, the military marches through the streets. That's horrifying. I can just picture, like, the top half of a Warforged Colossus. And it's, like, powered down, but it's hanging by its wrists from a tower. They do this to increase morale. <laughs> okay. They also do it to try to intimidate diplomats and people from other nations. Like I said, they march through the street. The soldiers march through the street to boost the spirits of the of the common people. Are they Klingons? They could be. Okay. The forges of Korth, the capital, yeah, uh, produce the finest weapons and armor in all of Corvair. Which is kind of weird because I always thought that the crafting side of that would belong to like dwarves or elves or something, okay. but it's not. It's these guys, and they're primarily human. Primarily, I mean, their army is primarily primarily skeletons. Well, okay, but human skeletons. Sure. Yeah, okay. So there are lots of fortresses all over Karnath. Okay. One of the most prominent ones is Fort Bones. Fuck off. All of the crazy damn names that is from from Kabara, spelt with a Q, to, what was it, Trollenport and Aender, and then we get Fort Bones. Yeah. Like, they just gave up for this one. I kind of like it. All right, so this... You're this gonna... has got a He-Man vibe going for it right <laughs> now. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to find fortresses like this spread all around the mountaintops in Karnath. Uh, this one in particular, though, is a garrison that is made up of undead, primarily from the remains of Karn soldiers. So there you go, right there. Yeah. Okay. You die. Yay! You're back, right? Yeah. Uh, there are no lights specifically here. Well, everything has dark vision. Because, of course, the undead use dark vision. Yeah. When I was looking in the book, I believe that there's a picture of Fort Bones. And but you can't tell because it's all black. <laughs> no, it looks like... Um, what's the name of the, the city? Minas Morgul? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got, like, the big uh, tower. I mean, there's no lights pouring out of it or anything. But, yeah. like, that almost... Exactly the same from the movie. Like it, okay. it, it looked very similar. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, in my head it was like Castle Grayskull, but no, you do you. Uh, now again, I also mentioned the Blood of Vol. Their stronghold is in Karnath, in a city called Atur. Gesundheit. Thank you. A T U R. It's a city of night. Do they have knights of night? No. Okay. They have priests of Vol. Okay. Okay, uh, this is where the Blood of Vol produces the undead armies from, okay? There are massive catacombs underneath the city, and these house the legions of undead that are just there in case Karnath needs them again. See, when I know of catacombs in the real world, what I think of is the catacombs under, like, Paris and whatnot, which are just littered with skulls and old dead monks and whatnot. And I imagine that this used to be some sort of actual burial site where this hundreds of thousands of people that these necromancers have moved in just been like yeah yeah i can make you soldiers i thought of it as more as like under asgard where hella goes down and raises the army in uh thor ragnarok yeah okay similar to that okay there are a couple of ways you could interpret this then yeah yeah okay i like that that's cool beside korth there is an area called the nightwood it is a big massive forest and it has ties to the plain of so where paladins get erections mabar yeah that's <laughs> where paladins get Mabar. Ties to the plane of Mabar. Yep. Tell me all about Mabar, Dave. It's another plane. Of? Mabar. Yeah, but what what's in Mabar? Well, that's another area. We'll deal oh, with that. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. It's the plains. All right. Again, remember uh, the Shadow Marches and the Eldine Reaches have play ways that you can get into other sure. planes. yeah. This has that as well. Okay. Monsters kind of appear out of the Nightwood uh, and are 
there to terrorize the Carns. Is it more undead? No. No? Okay. Not exclusively. Sure, but just, just quote-unquote monsters. So Mabar is a realm where no light shines. It is a world that is home to demons and creatures that go bump in the night. On Eberron, one can be brought back after death as either an undead or as a deathless. A deathless. Yes. We're not getting into that. Super interested, but okay. So that's what Mabar is all about. Uh, these are the creatures that will be coming out of the fo- the, the Nightwood, the, the massive forest. Okay? Sure. Okay. Like I was saying before, they have a strict set of laws. Uh, now, these were put into place by King Caius I. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're now on to the third one. They never really mentioned the second one. but So he established what's called the Code of Caius. It really just kind of set the, the bar for... Mabar. No. Okay. Uh, it really set the limits when it came to like Mobilites. rationing. Yeah, okay. Because, uh, I mean, like I said, there was multiple famines and such. Sure. So uh, it's still in place even though the war is over. There's still rationing going on because the people of Karnath are willing to endure hardship in order to secure their future. Sounds rational. I don't think it does, but okay. That's food for thought. The populace still frowns on excess and luxury items, and also approves of swift and harsh punishment. Feels Spartan almost, doesn't it? Sort of. Like, I'm picturing undead Spartans. I could see that. Now, King Caius III, he was one of the main architects of the Treaty of Thronehold. He saw what happened to Sire, because Thronehold's kind of like north, more north and a little bit east of Sire. So he saw what happened. He didn't, he wasn't down with that. Many of the Carnathi warlords believe, though, that the Carns could have won the war uh, had the treaty not been made. And, I mean, if maybe if they grabbed enough power, they could wrestle it away. Because nobody could keep up with the Carnathians. Continue your episode, Dave. <laughs> That's enough of Carnath. I'm done with this. <laughs> You're just being Carnathy. <laughs> Anything about Karnath before we move on? Oh, fuck lots, but we should move on. Okay, let's go over to, I believe in the last episode, I promised you pirates. Pirates, yes. Okay, let's move over to the Lazar Principalities. This is the very northeast corner of the continent, okay? East of here is Sarlona. Okay, uh, I gotta back up. When you say the north, you don't mean Arctic. It's still temperate, right? Yeah, so there are... The North Pole and South Pole are also continents, but nobody really lives there. These are inhabited areas. We're not seeing a whole lot of, like, Arctic adventures in Eberron. Maybe when you get up to the mountaintops in some areas. When you get down to Zendrix, there is. Zendrix? Okay. Uh, So the Lazar Principalities are a loose confederacy of pirate lords, merchant princes, and sea barons. Okay? There's a bunch of islands, and essentially each one is a principality. Okay. Little city-states. Yeah, but they're recognized as a single nation under the Treaty of Thronehold. Sure. But it's a very loose alliance. I mean, each island domain has its own values, goals, and feuds with others. So it's like the warring tribes of Dargoon, right? Like, they get along, but I mean, eh, sort of, but not really. The Lazar are the best sailors in all of Corvair. They served as privateers for all of the nations during the last war, uh, but, I mean, they would occasionally have little bouts of piracy here and there. And after the war, they returned to being merchants, but, I mean, pirates still roamed the open seas. 
the Lazar, the people, uh, value above all else their independence. It, it's really an interesting hierarchy they have. Uh, anyone can be a ship captain or be the leader of a principality. Leadership is earned. It is not a right. It is not given. Ooh, how very progressive of them. Uh, sort of. I assume that this lends to more backstabbery. I guess. Right. But I mean, you gotta want it, right? Sure. But I mean, I mean, you could start your day as, you know, the scrub in the poop deck and end your day as the ruler of a principality. Huh. Like, it's very much that way. No, when you get in trouble, you have to go to the vice principality? I don't even know how to react to you anymore, all right? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Don't be. It's Eberron and Puns by Dave and Adam. Going Eberron and on and on and on. <laughs> real punishment. Uh, now, of all the principalities, there is one that stands out more than the rest. Uh, and it is ruled by High Prince Rygar. Not, not Rygar? Ear Wynarn. Oh, fuck off. All right? right? You thought you were going to get away from it, but that's not the point. No, all right. Uh, and he rules from a, a city called Regalport. He was the one that unified the principalities into a united force to get them recognized as one of the 12 nations through the Treaty of Thronehold. Otherwise, they would have been, they would have fallen under Karnath? Not necessarily. It would have been more, in my opinion, it didn't necessarily say, a little more wild and unregulated. Okay, so it would have fallen into general anarchy and warring factions and anything else. Maybe not openly warring, but like, I think of city-states fighting yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. So among the various ports that are kind of all over, uh, you're going to find like ancient ruins and stuff. Like this is. Did you ever play Assassin's Creed Black Flag number four? No. Uh, essentially, you're just kind of sailing around the Caribbean. You go to different islands and stuff, but there's all sorts of Mayan ruins and things to explore while you're there. Sure. It has that kind of feel to it, uh, and of course, like I said, Regal Port is one of the big, the uh, the, the biggest. The, if there was a capital. It would be it. I'm, I feel like this is somewhere between Pirates of the Caribbean, but like the weird stuff when he's finding like cursed Aztec gold mm-hmm. and like um, Road to El Dorado. Yeah, you could say so. All right. I mean, th- there's tons of like pirate tombs and like treasure troves just kind of hidden all over the place, right? Cool. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, some of the most widely known places in the principalities are Grey Tide, uh, which is an island that houses the largest changeling population in Corvair. Cool. Okay, so it's an island of changelings. There's also Dreadhold, which is an island prison, which is said to be inescapable. So you have Alcatraz, too. Nice. Uh, it houses all of the famous criminals and political prisoners from all of Corvair, uh, and it also has a vault filled with treasures. This is ruled by one of the houses. Yeah. Okay, this is not a, a principality that gets paid to do this. This is the house that does this. Okay, so it's a prison slash bank vault. Essentially, it is the a secure location. You also get Port Verge. This is the port of the Dire Shark Principality. Cool. Okay, it's ruled by Prince Kolberkhan. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was gonna, I was gonna guess that. All right, and he wants to expand. He is the uh, direct rival, essentially, to Rygar Ir Wynarn, and he really wants to make uh, Port Verge bigger and better than Regal Port. And to kind of make that happen, he's allowed the blood of Val into Port Verge. They have a very strong presence there as well. Oh, okay. So, I mean, are there undead there as well? There must be. And I love the idea of undead... Pirates? No, dire sharks. Undead, dire, pirates, sharks. Yar. Yar. 
So the Lazar Principalities are very much a unique area. It's more of a coalition than it is an actual government, right? Yeah. So it's really got a few big players, but a lot of little ones, okay? Yeah. And there's a lot of rumors about how they kind of got to be so powerful for being independent little states. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the rumors involve that maybe they made deals with the dragons of Argonison. Maybe they've made bargains with fiends. What, is that why the blood of Vol is in Port Verge? But there's also uh, a rumor that there have been agreements made with the Empire of Redra. Which is an empire that rules Sarlona. So from here you're kind of getting out that they're not just dealing with Corvair, but they're branching out to everything around it. They're not... Well, they're mobile. They're on ships. Why wouldn't they? Yeah, they're, they're more than just another country. They're, they're the, the bridge between the rest of the world. Yeah, okay. That Does makes that sense. make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. With the exception of Zendrik, because it's on the opposite side. They're not really close to each other. I mean, and that's really all there is to the Lazar Principalities. There's tons of islands, tons of stuff you could do. Uh, you could run a little mini pirate campaign in there if you wanted. Oh, yeah, you could run a huge pirate campaign through there if you wanted. There's tons of uh, ancient ruins and just pirate treasure to find. Like, there's lots to do. From the principalities, if you move a little bit west, but not quite all the way to Karnath, you will come to the one I hate saying the most, the Mrorholds. The Mrorholds? The Mrorholds. Okay, it's M-R-O-R. Holds. Holds. Yes. When the humans came to Corvair, uh, they found the dwarves up in the Maror Holds. These are a series of mountains, uh, and each hold, essentially, is where one of the uh, a dwarven clan resides. When the humans first got there, the dwarves were fighting amongst themselves, and that kind of weakened them, the dwarves. And made it so that they couldn't really unify against the humans, which made the Mrorholds submit to human will, therefore becoming part of Karnath. Okay. You with me? I am, yeah. Makes sense? Yeah. But now the dwarves have stood up and said, no Mror. <sighs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so this allowed the dwarves to kind of take a step back. Well, sorry, when the when the last war broke out, it allowed the dwarves the opportunity because I mean they weren't really part of what was going on. They were able to step back and kind of refocus what they were doing and where their energy was going. Like the dwarves could focus on the short term. Uh yeah, they and they were kind of reborn as merchant lords. Okay. Okay. So That makes a little sense. They were there where the wealth comes from. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also at the beginning of the last war, the dwarves made an interesting discovery, okay? They're miners, not young, but, you know. They mine. Yes. Kind of like you, who undermines everything I'm trying to do. Yes. Yes. That's what uh, I'm here for. I, I believe that. When they were digging or mining underneath the Mrorholds, they came across an ancient dwarven empire deep within the mountains, which are called the Iron Root Mountains. The explorers that found this ancient dwarven empire found a bunch of mines that were still full of gems and ore and vaults filled with riches and artifacts. This was kind of strange. So the Iron Root, is that R-O-O-T? Like, yeah. like root yes. of the mountain. It's not like the pathway through. It's not a root. Correct. Okay. The Maror restored the ruins and called it the Realm Below. Okay, so they're already underground and they're calling it the Realm Below. This does so, not sound good for anyone. And and I have to say, from a literary standpoint, almost any time that there is a city or a civilization or anything that has an M and an O in it, 
they tend to be bad guys. Is this, are we dealing, are we heading towards evil? Um, th- it does really feel like Moria. Yes, you're right. It's not even Moria. Like, it, it I feel like they're going to dig down into Kyber by accident and, and release the, like, Mordor. Sort of. Uh, so when they saw that Galifar was defeated and fighting in and amongst themselves, they decided to form what they called the Iron Council and claim sovereignty of the Marorholds. Thus forming their own nation. Uh, But as the dwarves went deeper into the realm below, it became quite apparent where the ancient dwarven empire had disappeared to. They awoke a Delkir. Oh, cool. Remember in the last episode, I told you to remember Dern? Yeah. Here he is. Dern. Dern the Corrupter, as his name is. Okay. He is a Lord of Madness. Not the Lord, a Lord of Madness. He actually has a stat block in the the, uh, back of the book. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, anyways, they they woke him up. All right. That's fun. They found a Balrog. Yeah, apparently. Essentially, um, so he released his hordes of aberrations, uh, and they have risen from the depths to challenge the dwarves. The dwarven mines and the Roarholds are not super safe anymore. Now, did most... they get pushed back? Like, or is it just sort of? Sort of. So most dwarves don't like the Delkir, right? Well, who does? Right. They revile them. However, some believe that the Delkir will grant you power, okay? Some clans have taken symbionts and living weapons from the Delkir. Delicious. Okay. There are cabals of warlocks that draw on the power from the plane of Zoriat, which I think we talked about yeah. before. Yeah. Uh, now, in the Moorholds, there are 12 clans that each have a seat on the council, the Iron Council. And, I mean, I think you can tell what the Iron Council does. It kind of resolves the disputes and runs the nation. With irony. Yes. But there is also a clan of orcs that live in the Iron Root Mountains. They are the Jorashtar. Now, some dwarves are happy to try to integrate them into their society, but most don't like them. Okay. okay. Now, the seat of the Iron Council which is essentially the capital, is what's called Krona Peak. K-R-O-N-A. All right? Yeah. Uh, So of the Sovereign Host, there's a bunch of different people that are part of the Sovereign Host. There's a bunch of deities. Sure. Okay. One of them, called Kol Karan, uh, is loved by the dwarves. Uh, He is the Sovereign Lord of World and Wealth. And he has a large temple here called Kol Karan's Throne. Okay. Okay. Throne Peak is essentially this giant temple and where the Iron Council works. But, I mean, this is not one of the the holds. This is not a city, okay? This is where business is done. Okay, one of the other holds is called Solengat. This is the home to Clan Soldorak. I'm glad it's not confusing. Right? Why would it be? This is the largest mint and treasury in Corvair. Now that the vault in Sire is gone, this is the place. This is where the riches come out of. They have recovered lots of Delkir tools and weapons, and the, the Solan lords proudly wear symbionts and do not hide their warlock pacts. They're very open about what they've been doing. And that pisses off a lot of other people. Yeah, they'd say no more. Or would they just say, hold on? No more from you. Okay. Now, there was one of the holds called Noldrenhold. Noldrenhold? Yes. Which uh, was run by Clan Noldren about 400 years ago. Yeah, that tracks. Okay. Uh, the region has been declared uh, as cursed, and it was always blamed on the orcs. But starting to come to light that maybe it was the Delkir and the aberrations that were sent up to, to deal with these guys. 
So, but so like the orcs get a bad rap, and uh, you know stuff is blamed on them, even though it might not have been, which of course creates trouble. Yeah, there's going to be tensions there. Yeah. Well, it it appears now that on the surface, to people looking at the Moorholds from the outside, that they're gaining power. They're coming into their own. Uh, they've become a nation. They're starting to become merchants. I mean, they are. Uh, they've got large vaults with gems and jewels and all sorts of ores and everything. But, I mean, this is a nation that's crumbling from the inside out. Like, and nobody knows it. Nobody outside of the Moorholds knows it. Yeah. And the Iron Council probably knows it. Someone could be traveling from Karnath over to the Lazar Principalities, come to the Moorholds and find it abandoned. Hmm. Maybe there's no one left. Who knows, right? Like, there, there's lots of opportunity here. For mystery and intrigue and danger and evil from below. Yeah, and, and it's a good way to kind of introduce maybe just a flavor of Dalkir without actually facing it head on. And uh, I mean, and that's really all they've got for the Moorholds. Okay, I look, I really like this flavor of it. And it feels so different. Like, here's the damn thing about Eberron. Every one of these nations seems so freaking unique that I feel like this would be a smaller plane or its own island off in forgotten realms or whatever it is like the idea that these are all coexisting together i feel like there really is like it shouldn't be i feel like there's really that idea that at any moment this powder keg could blow yeah that's what i that's what i really like about it is it's got a little bit of everything jammed in such a small little place yeah name of your sex dude um which is interesting because the last nation that we're going to cover uh, is kind of in the south of the southeast all right it borders uh valinar and kabara okay, okay. which uh, were a little bit more wild yeah uh, and then to the uh, to the west was sire okay all right, yeah and so, I mean, like, and Karnath is up to the north, and the Moorholds are up there as well. Like, it's it's surrounded by most of these other nations. However, have I told you what it's called yet? No. The Talenta Plains. Oh, you mentioned that in another episode. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it, it makes it really strange that there's this big open area of nothing, kind of right in the smack dab in the middle of everything. Okay. Mm. Now, the Talenta Plains here are essentially, this is the halfling nation. Yeah, they've been strangely absent of most of this. Right. Now, there are two houses, dragon-marked houses, that are run by the halflings, and they come out of the Talenta Plains. Okay. So there are, like, halflings are very much a thing. It's not just this. But, I mean, this area, they don't have cities. Think of the, like, roaming Mongol hordes. Okay? Except everybody's, like, three feet tall and rides on dinosaurs. They live a, a more plain life. Uh, they don't use any... I think the term the book used was industrialized magic. Yeah, okay. I like that. Okay? Now, like I said, they do have dinosaurs, and they use them as mounts. They use them as livestock. They're beasts of burden. They use them for... Just uh, desperately want to see a halfling milking a stegosaurus now. Yeah, I'd pay to see that. I bet you would. Yeah, I would. I bet you'd head to Tijuana to see that. <laughs> I bet you I could find it on the internet. Rule 34. Yikes. Now, the Talenta region reveres all spirits, all right? It's a very spiritual area. Okay. Each tribe has a lath, which is a chieftain, uh, and they guide the tribe. They also have shamans, and the shamans are the ones that consult the spirits and choose the path of the, the migration. Okay. Okay. Is it like the bones say we go east? Essentially. Cool. Right? We spoke to the spirits and they said... See, we... I like this and everybody always makes it half works and shit in D&D, but no. I love that. Love that it's halflings now. That's cool. I like that. Yep. Uh, most of the tribes are independent. However, they were united during the last war by Lathon Halpum. 
Of course, yeah. Right? Uh, he won the recognition of the Plains as one of the Thronehold nations. The Talenta reverence for spirits comes from the fact that many spirits wander the Plains. The region also contains a number of manifest zones tied to the Plains of Dolor, 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 D-O-L-U-R-R-H, and Thalanus. Right, okay, so we've got the Talenta Plains is like is like rolling plains and hills and grass. Yes. But we are now talking about like plains. Extra plains. Ex- extra planar Travel, areas. yes. Okay, okay. Okay, Dolor and Thalanus are other plains of the sure. setting, right? Ghosts are more common in the Talenta Plains, as are Fae. There are... Fae are kind of scattered all over the Talenta Plains. Cool, okay. Okay, uh, now there... Are stories of an ancient graveyard that contains the bones of dragons, which I thought might be an interesting... That's a cool plot hook. That's a good set piece. Right? Uh, and although there are ruins littered across the plains, the halflings tend to stay away from them. Uh, ruins means that there were people there before. People there before means ghosts. Ghosts means spirits. Let's steer clear. For people that listen to the spirits, they kind of try to stay away from them when they can. All right. They they also believe that some of these ruins are left over from the demon conquests and could be haunted by fiends. Although that's not empirically proven, it's they one of their beliefs. It, yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay, now, the halflings do come together to trade and settle regional disputes. Uh, and this is done at a place called Gatherhold. This town is maintained by one of the dragon-marked houses, uh, but it and it does not belong to the house. It belongs to the people of the Talenta Plains. There's also a location called the Wandering Inn, all right? This is a caravan, which is maintained by House Galandra, which is one of the halfling houses, okay? Uh, the dragon-marked houses. Uh, and it's more of a traveling fair. Okay. Okay. It it provides entertainment to those that come across it, and it just kind of wanders throughout the plains. It doesn't have one location. So Gatherhold does, though. Okay. Okay. But other than that, everything in the Talenta Plains is very dynamic. It moves. It does not stay the same. Uh, now, during the last war, all of the tribes banded together to repel all of the outsiders. But now that the war has ended, most of the tribes have returned to their traditional lands. That's how they were able to get recognition as a thronehold nation but have reverted back to... The, the old ways, yeah. Yeah, essentially like the Lazar principalities, right? Sure, yeah. Uh, now, Lathon Halpum, he's still alive. He's still running around. He wants to unite the tribes into a true nation, but he faces a lot of resistance. There is a shaman. Her name is Holy Oldra, uh, and she opposes the unity of the tribes. She only really wants them to work together to drive off outsiders. But other than that, she wants them all to kind of like stay to their own traditions and not really intermingle with each other. Okay. I mean, like as much as racism is a thing, tribalism is a thing too. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And and, and that really describes the heart of the Talenta Plains. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. I like it. There's not a whole lot here. Right. There's a lot of empty space, but there's not, like, the evil things beneath the dwarven strongholds or all the pirates intermingling, and, like, it it seems pretty... Yeah, but I like the idea of you've been adventuring for three weeks and you've come across nothing, then all of a sudden, 40 raging barbarian halflings come charging at you while riding clawfoot raptors. Like, hot damn. Yeah, that's all right. (laughs) Right? Yep. Sounds like a lot of fun, you know, or not, right? <laughs> yeah. 
the other mainstay of the Talento Plains is that there are wild dinosaurs that kind of roam around as well. Like I said, there's livestock. And, like They don't keep them in pens in static locations. Some get out, some wander around. Are these guys just the Rohirrim from Lord of the Rings, but on dinosaurs? Or are they more nomadic than that? They're far more. They're, they're the... The, they're the Mongol tribes. Instead of horses, they have dinosaurs. Okay. Okay. And, and not one, you know, army, but like a bunch of little ones. Think of like the Valinar warbands, but only miniature. Oh, so they're Jawas hmm. with dinosaurs. So, okay. Here we are at another turning point in an episode where I want to grab Dice Roll Initiative and find out what one thing that we've talked about today you want to explore. You would port over into a homebrew or try to adapt into another setting because you just like it so freaking much. Sure. I got a six. Eleven. Um, I like the nation with the undead army that has worked itself into just being a regular everyday thing with everybody else, and most people are cool with it. I mean, I know that there's Thrain, and Thrain um, having the, the Church of the Silver Flame will not like that, but gives a shit, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that, that that is having protagonists using an undead army you don't get anybody who has an undead army is always the bad guy and that's not necessarily the case i could see the idea of this power coming up from the iron root mountains to be faced with this undead army as really like i could use that just about anywhere that seems great i mean the fact that they share a border like it's it's right there yeah i like that it, honestly that would be i'm gonna choose something else that'll be my answer too to the point where in the last the homebrew campaign I ran, there was a floating city called Promissory Falls, which was run by a vampire lord and a council of vampires. And it, he just allowed regular people to live their regular lives, but they had some very strict rules. And if you ended up breaking the rules, you were sentenced either to life or death. And life was servitude and death was undead slavery that turned you into a zombie. And you sat there and maintained the upkeep of the, of the region and they would send you as a messenger out to other floating cities and whatnot. My guys came through, ended up crossing them, discovering, surprise, surprise, vampires evil. There were only like 10% of the population was still human. Everything else was undead. And um, so what they did was they sunk the city and res oh. rescued all the people, uh, as many as they could anyway, sunk the city, which pissed off the vampire lord, uh, who then, who was the governor, and he took his undead army and marched across the bottom of a massive Amazon-like river towards uh, another sunken city to raise pure evil in retribution, right? Like, I absolutely love the idea of the undead city that functions for now. Shit's going to get real in a minute, mm -hmm. right? So I had no idea this existed, and as you're talking about it, it's all I can think of was, was my crazy homebrew side of things. Mm -hmm. But they would have, like, public executions, and it, and that was it. It's like, hey, we told you no jaywalking, and we caught you jaywalking, and that that's all there is to it. You're, you will die now. But don't worry, your loved ones will still see you delivering mail or cleaning the streets or whatever mundane job your body was going to be given. How comforting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah, no, I I, I liked this northeast region. It, there's a lot of shit going on here. Honestly, my favorite one is probably man. I'm a sucker for dinosaurs. I am. I'm all over the Talenta Plains. I I really I really fucking love the the idea of dinosaurs and ghosts as well. The ghosts remind me of the poorly named because it had nothing to do with the series Final Fantasy Spirits Within. Yep. Right? I like the idea of there being these spirits in these old civilizations. and like, I don't know, man. It's cool. I like it. I like it. 
I like that it's a different take on a halfling. Yes, as well. Right? There's no friggin' Shire here. I was going to say, like, I'm, I really, really appreciate that. Because you get all sorts of different flavors of gnomes. Like, that one's blueberry. And you, but you get all sorts of different types of elves, like uh, dwarves, even even different kinds of orcs and goblins, depending on your setting. But a halfling is a halfling is a halfling wherever you go. And I'm glad we got something different here. I've always found, I, like I've heard people talk about halfling barbarians before. I played one, right? They're they're neat, but when you bring it up, it's like <laughs> halfling barbarian. <laughs> cool. I see what you did there. Nah, man, they're a thing. Yeah, and they will mess you up. Oh, riding into battle on their freaking velociraptor. Yeah, well, not quite a velociraptor because no, it's a clawfoot raptor. Right. Okay. So I I want to I want to bring this up. Okay. Sure. I chose dinosaurs actually to talk about, and D&D has a big number of dinosaurs. Not as many as I would like, because I'm a freaking dino nerd, and I'm a little dinosaur about it. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> but, but there are quite a number of them, um, and velociraptors are presented, but they're tiny creatures the size of chickens, right? which is the way that they are in real life, not Jurassic Park. They're not like a six-foot turkey? No. No, they are not. Those are Deinonychus. And they... I I have known that since I was ten. But I feel like the rest of the world doesn't know that. So, the more you know. Anyway, the Clawfoots are really interesting because 40-foot movement speed. Uh, they're, and they're the war mounts. And they've got the stat block form. And they're pretty cool. I'm going to go through... There are two new additions. And both of them are just are just mounts. I'm going to go through them really quickly, both of them, because they're very simple. There's the Clawfoot, um, which have a kind of a pack structure. They get pack tactics, uh, which you would expect. They're medium beasts, which means you can polymorph into them. Interesting. Because they're beasts. Uh, challenge rating of one. And they're, you know, decent strength, high dex, high con, shitty intelligence, shitty charisma, and above average wisdom. Which is good because wisdom just means you're you're uh, attuned with the world around you. You you've got high perception and whatnot. Um, but they're unaligned. They're there to be trained. These are freaking mounts. They also have a uh, pounce, which means that if they move at least twenty feet straight in any direction towards a creature, that creature then has to succeed on a DC eleven strength save or be knocked prone. If the target is prone, the clawfoot can make one bite attack against it as a bonus action. So you essentially run up to it and jump on it and knock it down. So the mounts pounce and bounce to trounce the enemies out. Just an ounce. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Um, they get two attacks, one with the bite and one with the claws. Uh, in my head, the claws, obviously it says claw foot, but they're the giant middle toe. Yeah. Um, there's no real art or anything for what there are. I guess the front of the book, I think, has one. Doesn't it? The, the regular cover. Or if you flip it over onto the back, Dave. The back of the book. There we yes. go. So... Um, yep, Clawfoot looks like a Jurassic Park Velociraptor, but green. So He's got blue. I'm going to call him blue. No, that was Jurassic World. Yes. Um, but, uh, they, like, 1d8 damage, piercing or slashing, depending on bite or claw, and 5 foot reach, plus 5 to hit. Like, it's a pretty standard CR1 creature. Uh, they go 40 feet around. The other one, though, is called the Fastieth, and these are prized among the Talenta tribes. Uh, they're typically very stubborn, but they can carry a halfling with light gear easily at a very, very good pace. They're not trained for battle, but they can bite if you piss them off. Again, they're medium sizes, the size of a human. Their dexterity is through the roof. They only have nine hit points. That's so not a lot. That's not a lot. These guys, these are your ponies, right? Not your war horses. 
Sure, makes sense. They have the quickness attribute to them. They're, this is a feature that recharges on a 5 or 6, which allows them to take a dodge action as a bonus action. Okay. Um, which helps a little bit. They're a challenge rating of one quarter, right? They're not powerful at all. They only get one bite, and there's no multi-attack, right? So it's the 1d8 plus 4 piercing damage. Uh, however, 50-foot movement speed. Ooh, what else has that? Riding horse, and that's it. As far as I know... Those are the only two mounts that can move that quickly. Yeah. The picture of it looks... They just look like a bipedal lizard with a beak more than anything else, right? Yeah, pretty much. But uh, but I absolutely love the Fastieth as being ridiculous. You can see these guys moving at 100 feet around if they're not taking an action, right? They're yeah. just They're just going to cover ground way faster than you're going to expect them to. They remind me of the, um, the Gala... Uh, Gala Minus. Thank you. Fuck off. Absolutely. It's that kind of idea, except the Gallimimus are, are bigger. You're so proud of yourself, aren't you? I guess I deserved that, didn't I? Yeah. Well, uh, that's, uh, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, I'm sitting in the car talking to myself. I have decided not to endorse this podcast. <laughs> well, I could keep going with Dave. Let's, <laughs> let's just go quote for quote all the way through this. Anyway... This entire series, as well as other series on role-playing games, are available on the It's a Mimic feed, on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and lots of other podcast apps. So don't forget to follow or subscribe on whatever app you're listening to. Also, check out the entire library of episodes at www.itsamimic.com, and feel free to support us by hitting that donate button. Thanks for listening to this episode of It's a Mimic Touring the Multiverse. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook, or you can find me at the subreddit r slash it's a mimic. Until next time, I'm Dave. And I'm not. And we'll be back with more Eberron information and crazy adventure inspiration next week. But first, let's go find Jed. All right, Mr. Feld, and that should do the trick. If any of the warts, if they resurface or come back, just uh, head on back here and I'll get you more ointment, all right? You have a good day. Hey, Jed. Hey, buddy. Hey, look what the imp dragged in. How the hell are you? <laughs> We're pretty good. How are you today? Yeah, doing all right, doing all right. I got a couple of uh, interesting things in here for you today. One of them's not another baby, is it? No, unfortunately, we're pretty low stock on babies right now. Uh, last week, there was a little bit of a flash sale, and uh, we got rid of a lot of product. Good God. All right. What do you got today? All right, look at this, guys. This glove right here is your ticket to having the most capable hands in the realm. Well, my hands are pretty capable already. Yeah, well, everyone knows what a fucking stranger is, David, but you want an acquaintance or what? <laughs> <laughs> One's attuned to these beautiful living gloves. Purse snatching, lock picking, close up magic, hell even crafting will come so easy to you, you could do it with your eyes closed. Nah, I don't think we're interested in those ones. We uh, we don't do much purse snatching. Okay, how about this? If you want to get off first base and start exploring other parts of the body, I also got the whole suit available too. Living armor, they call it. You'd be unstoppable. What what does it do? Like, why is it living? Well, it's the same concept as the living gloves, okay? Once you attune to this item, this, uh, this fine, meshy metal becomes a part of you. It just becomes a part of your skin. And it just, uh, and it stays there. You mean like a symbiote? 
Yeah, yeah, like a symbiote, exactly. Nah, again, well, I don't think we're interested. We don't need uh, anything besides that skin graft that Dave just got in his back. Well, I don't like to talk about that. Oh, Jesus, I don't like it when you talk about it either. Carrying on. Alright, so this is not for the faint of heart, this next one. Buckle up, boys, because I'm taking you on the ooze cruise. Well, what do we have to lose? Look, we're just here to peruse. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Alright, a spoonful of sugar helps the ooze go down. After drinking the vile contents of this jar, Curzon's ooze spreads throughout your body, unlocking powers you always dreamed of. Now, once attuned, you're going to be, one, resistant to poison and acid damage. Maybe not appealing to the recreational acid user, but pretty good for everybody else. Two, just like many opportunities in your life, now you can slip through the cracks too. Feel the ooze, be the ooze, you know what I mean? Number three, acid breath. Need I say more? Uh, Dave already has acid breath. Yeah, I guess that sphere you bought last time didn't do much for the breath, eh? <laughs> uh, no, not, not, not really. Do you take refunds? Or do refunds? Yeah, fuck that, David. We don't do refunds. You think I just got all this money sitting behind me? I'm paycheck to paycheck, just like everybody else. All right, all right, all right. Now, I do need to warn you, you gotta be careful what you wish for with these guys, all right? Death or a wish spell is the only thing to return you to normal. Also, it's a permanent thing. Oh, super permanent. And this just lets you become an ooze when you want? Yeah, essentially, once, like I said, once you're attuned, your, your, your whole molecular makeup of your body goes from a human or a humanoid right into an ooze. You're just able to move like the ooze. But I can retain my original shape if I wanted to, right? Yeah, if you wanted to, you could go back to being, uh, you. Oh, that means that you would pretty much give up an entire attunement slot then, I guess. Oh, yeah, man, you're in it to win it with this one. Well, I don't know if I want that for myself, but I'm definitely curious about buying that for other people. Yeah, hey, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't care if you keep it for yourself or it's a present or what. Money's money. So what are you, uh, what are you thinking here? Uh, well, how much? What, what's the range we're talking about? Uh, you know, I'd probably let it slide for like 6,500 gold piece. 6,500? Yeah. Yikes, that's a little rich for me. I'm already pretty oozy and jiggly myself. Look, buddy, these things can fetch up to 50,000 gold pieces, so I'd say that old Jed's giving you a deal today, wouldn't you? Who's going to give up an opportunity like that? Oh, Jesus. Deal's off the table. Deal's off the table. Nah, I'm just fucking with you. Come on. 6,500 bucks and it's yours. All the ooze you can abuse. Well, what can I choose? There you go, Jed. 6,500 gold pieces. All right, 6,500 gold pieces it is. It's all yours, boys. Thank you very much. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jed. Hey, not a problem at all. And hey, you come back next week. I got some stuff that's going to be really useful to some of the Dragon Mark houses. See you then, Jed. See you then. Take it easy, guys. All right, bye, Jed. Oh, I'm totally going to go slip this into Terry's tea. You should put it in his ouzo. His oozlong tea. Just whatever booze he's drinking today. We'll have to peruse what's on his shelves. Yes, that fine figure he's been working on. He's going to lose it. Adam, Dave, if you're not buying anything, get the fuck out of here with your puns. You're ruining business for me. Sorry, Jed. Yeah, get the fuck out of here.